Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. Who is here because of Leslie Houseover? Uh, how many of you have, are here to see and hear from Leslie, but you've never met her before? This is awesome. Well, she's not here yet. No, I'm here. <laughs> and, uh, I just want to share with you, because I don't want to take any of her time, but there is a reason why we invited her, and we kind of stalked her out. I'm kind of known for... When I want to meet somebody, I'll do whatever it takes to meet them. I read this book called Jack Packer. Who's read the book? Unbelievable book. The book was given to me from a friend who said to me, Gary, have you read this book? I said, no, I haven't. He's like, dude, you got to read this book. And I read it, and I'm like, dude, how did you get this book? I don't remember how he got it. This is amazing. Well, Jason and I lived in Idaho Falls at the time. He was a loan officer. I was a real estate agent. And we were doing real estate investing, and our niche was, hey, if we can find people, I can serve them as an agent, you can serve them as a loan officer. We had to like get real creative, let's start a radio show. So we'll talk about real estate and brand ourselves as the real estate rebels. So we thought, how do you do that? All I know is that every week before Rush Limbaugh on AM radio in Idaho Falls, I heard these colon clans infomercials. <laughs> and I thought, I'm sure... I can do a community service and take those off the air. So we approached the radio station in Idaho Falls and said, how do you buy infomercial time because I can't stand the cold and clean stuff? And they're like, well, it's $1,500 a month. You can do whatever you want for an hour every week. Like every Wednesday from 9 to 10 a.m. before Rush comes on, we can do whatever we want. Yes, you can. So that's what we did. We started a radio show. And we just pretended like we were experts. We knew nothing. <laughs> and, um, we paid our 1500 bucks a month, and there was a technician there running the board because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't even know talking to a microphone. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to wear headphones. This is fun. So we did this. We read this book, The Jackrabbit Factor, and we said, you know what? This is a mindset changer, this book. Here's our litmus test. Before we work with anyone, we gave them the book and said, have you heard of this book? And they would say no. We'd say, read this book. If you agree with its principles, if it resonates with you, we will work with you. If it doesn't, you don't really probably want to work with us. I'm not joking. That's what we did. Well, fast forward, doing this for a year, and we found out this lady's at Leslie's in Arizona, and we're going down there for some real estate education courses. So we get on the phone. I don't know how we found her, but we call her and she answered the phone, right? So, hello? Leslie, you don't know me. My name's Gary. Uh, we read your book. We want to meet you. We, wanna, we live in Idaho. We're just a couple of loser guys. We are in Arizona. We'd love to meet you and get some books and maybe have you autograph them. Can we meet? Now, she's awesome. She'll probably still say this today. She says, this is almost a direct quote. I can meet you in a public place with my husband. That's what I remember. And I was like, of course, yeah. 
Can you pick him out? No. <laughs> we met at Chili's in Mesa at, at night, and I got to meet Leslie Trevin, and she brought a case of books, and we bought them, and she signed them, and we, we, we just clicked. And uh, the next week, he came down a few months later and said, hey, Leslie, we have some people we'd love to come and maybe bring them to Chili's or somewhere where we can meet you. And she's like, well, why don't you come to my home? I'm like, we're in. <laughs> so uh, we showed up with like 30 people at her house. It was kind of fun. She wasn't expecting that. We were either, but it was kind of word got out. And so we just showed up. And we were there till like midnight, had a great time. She got her marker out and did a stickman presentation on her mirror in her dining room. And every single person there was touched, including me. And that led to having her on our radio show several times, and she'd come up to Idaho Falls. And as many of you know, she is definitely worth listening to. And the principles she learned and the principles that she teaches are life-altering. And as the Stromberg Women's Group, who I'm not speaking in behalf of, <laughs> as the Stromberg Women's Group is studying books, her book came up, and they thought, let's see if we can get her to come here. We appreciate her time. Here we are. Wow. My mind has been racing for especially the last week preparing for this, this meeting because I have probably about four months full-time worth of stuff that I want to share with you. And so how do you pick from that much information that much, that, that many epiphanies that I've had that I just want to share so much. And so I brought this just kind of to help me stay focused enough that I don't go off on a tangent and give you some of the most, the most important things that I want to share with you tonight. I want to start out by telling you two stories. They are true stories, and I want you to just be thinking about what do they have in common. Uh, the first one, I, uh, I am in a group called Missionary Mamas on Facebook. I have a son in Texas right now, and it's been fun to be a part of that group watching the stories that come through. And, and one of the stories really, really touched me. What happened was one young man was in, in an airport. I don't know if this was after he had finished serving his mission. I, I got the impression that it was maybe on his way home, or I, I don't know. But he was in the airport, and he, he thought that maybe he ought to charge his phone. So he went around looking for a kiosk where he could plug it in and get, get some charge going. Now, he didn't need to. His phone wasn't dying, but he just felt like he ought to do that. So he, he went looking for a kiosk, and each one that he went to was already full. And so he'd go to another one, and it was full. He'd go to another one, and it was full. And he kept on this pursuit until he finally found one that was open. He sat down, plugged it in, and was waiting for his flight to depart. About this time, he looks across the way and he notices a young woman standing at the desk working with one of the attendants, and she was frantic. She was in hysterics. She was visibly upset, speaking, trying to communicate, and all he could make of what she was saying was this word, Mongolian. She was trying to communicate with the attendant, but she couldn't speak English, and they did not speak Mongolian. And he had, you know, he thought, well, I'll get my friend on the phone. I know, I know someone who went on a mission where he had to learn Mongolian Chinese, and so he got him on the phone and said, hey, could you maybe help this poor young woman? And so he takes the phone over to her, and he reaches out, and he says, Mongolian, and she takes the phone and, and listens, and, and pretty soon she starts 
she bursts into tears and she starts crying again. He's like, what did he say? <laughs> what did he say to her? And, and he's observing and she, there, she's crying and then she's working with the attendant and then she's crying some more and everything's fine and she'd get her composure and uh, then she'd start crying again and he was just confused. Finally, she gave the phone back to him and he's like, John, what did you say to her? And his friend bursts into tears and he's like, <laughs> so confused, like the Twilight Zone. And finally, he got him to tell what had happened, and he said, she was having some trouble. We got the thing worked out, but I taught her and baptized her on my mission and her entire family. <laughs> and they were able to solve the problem and this, this sweet reunion. And she was actually on her way to the MTC to become a missionary herself. That's story number one. Story number two, my husband and I, we lived in California years ago, and we had a, a dream to move back to Arizona because that's where the family was, and that's where we wanted to raise our children. And this was a dream that we were intent upon realizing at some point. And we had, we had discovered the opportunity to invest in real estate, and we didn't have money. We were going in the hole each month. Uh, you know, so when Chris says you don't have to have money to get started, I can attest to that. Uh, there are creative ways to get going. You've heard act as though, right? You've heard make the decision and then just go for it, trusting that things will work out as you go. Well, we had just discovered the principles. That if, if you know my story at all, uh, this was in about the year 2000. And 2000 is when we had first been introduced to that stick man diagram that Gary talked about that was on our mirror, which I do have online. You can find me later and I'll tell you where to find that. It's a free video. We had just discovered these principles. Uh, my first experience with intentionally using the principles was I had wanted, I really wanted this big chunky headboard for one of the beds in my home. It had no headboard and it just looked so bare and I wanted one of those big, you know, something that would belong in this kind of a house, right? I had that in my mind and I I applied the principles, I chose to believe, and just went about my life without worrying about it. One day I'm going into town and something says turn this way instead of going straight. Both ways would get me to town, so I turned left. As I'm going down the hill, I come up again and right onto the side of the road, out for the trash, was a big wooden chunky headboard. So I thought, man, if I can have a headboard, I want to move to Arizona. So we're going to just use the same principles and make it happen. So what do you do? We put our house up for sale. We went to Arizona. We found a house we wanted. We put it under contract pending the sale of this one. We had our goodbye party, you know, we're acting as though. He didn't have a job in Arizona, but he did have a job two and a half hours away in Burbank. And we figured if he were to fly home, that's only one hour. So we figured we'd just move to Arizona and he could commute to Burbank in less time than it was taking him to drive to Apple Valley, California. And so that was our plan. We'd just let him commute that way. And because sometimes he was only coming home once a week anyway, and so the, the flight, it wasn't that. And that was back when Southwest was only like $39. <laughs> That's changed. Anyway, timing is everything, right? We put our house up for sale, we're ready to go, we had the contract, we said our goodbyes, we were packing, <laughs> and the house wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell, it wouldn't sell. And we, we were operating on the principle that you do all you can do and trust that 
it'll meet you halfway, trust that things will work out, and it was just an absolute dead end. And we're like, why isn't this working? It worked for the headboard. <laughs> you know, it worked for these other things that we had tried it with. And, and so we thought, all right, regroup. What do we really want? All right, we want to be in Arizona. Maybe, maybe there's, okay, one of those things on, one of those principles that, that are, is talked about in the book Hidden Treasures is that when things go wrong, how do you look at that? How do you, what's the story you tell yourself about that situation going wrong? Well, by default, we naturally say, well, it's awful, it's bad, it's everything wrong. But through this learning experience, we had discovered that when things go wrong, you say, well, it could be worse. Or man's law of polarity says that contained in every adversity is a seed of equal or greater benefit. So there's really something awesome in this and looking and just changing our mindset, getting on a different thought frequency to pick up on those, those solutions. So the thought was, well, maybe, maybe we ought to just step back, wait until our ducks are in a row a little bit better. Maybe we ought to buy 10 homes in the next two, three years, let them appreciate, sell them, and then move to Arizona. And as soon as we had that thought and talked about it, we both felt, yes, you know, that inner knowing, yes, that's what we need to do. We had prayed, and this was the answer, that it, we just needed to stay. Okay, so we're going to get to work and just plan a little more long-term. In eight months, I managed to buy just one other property. He, wa he was too busy with his commute and with his job. He worked at Universal Studios. Cool job, huh? He would have been uh, happy not to be there. But eight months later, the market went like this, and we only had two properties, sold them both, and walked away with $250,000 cash tax-free. I'm so glad we didn't move when we wanted to. All right, so those two stories, what do you see in common between those two stories? I know you're used to the second kind of story from me, but what about the first story? Can you see any common thread? The right people and the right circumstances coming together, right? Yes. See anything else? Anything more specific? You can make a plan and uh, you can have success, but it doesn't mean that your success relied on your plan. Okay, good. Uh, say that again. I'm going to repeat it for the microphone here. You can make a plan. <laughs> you can make a plan. And you can succeed. You can succeed. But that doesn't mean that your success was predicated on your plan. But it doesn't mean your success was predicated upon your plan. Okay, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I want to point out that there are two specific elements, more than just two, but two that I want to point out between these two circumstances, these two situations. The first one is that there was a need or a want, right? There was a need or a want. The second, do you know? The solution already existed. Yes, true. True. Let's see what my notes say. <laughs> I jumped around a little bit. I want to make sure I don't give you the, the this before that. Well, it, it's really just a solution. Okay, so problem and solution, it's that elementary, but there was a problem and there was a solution. But the point I want, I want you to recognize is that in the, in the second story, we had an intentional 
goal. And we were consciously active in our thought process on how to achieve that. We were looking for the solution. The solution to that problem was wait. Buy more properties and wait. All right. With the first story, her situation, and I don't know what her specific problem was that she was trying to communicate with the attendant, but there was a problem and she was not conscious of the solution. She probably wasn't even expecting some outside force to help her out and bring a solution to her, and yet that's what happened. It was unconscious. It was unconscious. So how do you activate that kind of influence in your life, in the goals that you want to achieve? I don't know if you're here because you're looking for answers, you're looking for new hope. Maybe you have a dream and you're just wanting to make that happen, find a way to make that happen. Maybe you've had a dream before and you've had it dashed. Maybe you already know what your next step is and it's terrifying to you. But there's an inner knowing and you're looking for some peace of mind about it. Whatever it is, I want you to be thinking about expecting some answers to those, situ to those dilemmas in your life right now. How do these mysterious connections, how do these uncanny occurrences happen? How do they happen? In the first story, it wasn't even conscious or intentional. The second story, it very much was. I bet that each one of you can look back in your life at a time where something like that happened for you and you may not have understood how that came about. You were just grateful that it did. Raise your hand if you can think of any time in your life where one of those mysterious occurrences or uncanny coincidences took place in your life. Raise your hand if you can think of one. They happen all the time. And it's because there is a force. There are natural laws. There are natural laws that when we align with them, when we align with them, whether consciously or unconsciously, there is a force, there is unseen help that literally orchestrates all the resources we need to accomplish our goals. It comes together when people are led by the right kinds of thoughts. In the first story, who was led by the right kind of thoughts? Yeah, his name, by the way, was Russ. So Russ was led, what was the thought that led him there? Charge your phone. Did his phone need charging? Isn't that fascinating? Had he any idea that he needed to charge his phone to help a woman who spoke Mongolian to connect with her missionary to get her to the MTC? I mean, it's always a bigger story than we can comprehend. It always is a bigger story than we can comprehend. So these right kinds of thoughts, I call them genius thoughts. I call them genius ideas, a.k.a. inspiration. Okay? That's what a genius thought is to me. And he didn't know he was having a genius thought. And it's going to happen to you, and it has happened to you many, many times, where you, you get that spark of inspiration, you have that moment of connection where you get an idea, and you think it was your smarts. <laughs> I believe that there's, a, uh, th there's this all-knowing creator that our Heavenly Father, our God, can give us that insight, and it's genius. It makes us smarter. It makes us smarter. And so 
This is why I called my second book the sequel to The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, because The Jackrabbit Factor, and many of you rose your, raised your hand that you had read it. So how many of you, after reading that book, maybe you felt empowered, inspired, and then life happened? Okay, so I know it because it seems to be the life package for anyone who learns these principles. I'm telling you, it's not even unpredictable anymore. You learn these principles, and then life happens, and you get to practice it. And you get to practice it. And especially, and some of you may not know this, I've talked about it enough that I don't think it's secret, but after we wrote The Jackrabbit Factor, and I say we because my whole family, you, one day you'll see that video, all right? But... Um, after the Jackrabbit Factor, and after we did really well, and people were doing well, everything, all of a sudden, everything kind of flipped upside down on us, and we just about lost everything. Oh, I'm the Jackrabbit lady. I'm not supposed to have problems like this, right? I, I went through a period of time where I was ashamed and embarrassed to speak because I thought, who am I to tell anyone how to succeed when our life is looking like such a wreck? I thought I had it bad before I discovered the principles. That was looking pretty attractive to me compared to where we had found ourselves after discovering the principles. And look at me, I can talk about it now without falling apart. <laughs> and so what was happening with me is that I was still teaching because there was still a demand for it. People are still wanting to hear about it. And I knew the principles were true, but I kept thinking, I can't do this. I feel like I need to issue a public apology, pull all the books off the shelves and say, I'm sorry, I think it's not true. But I knew it was true. And that's what made it even all the harder. And so I would, I would say, all right, I am done. I'm going to quit. And this little voice in the back of my head kept saying, keep teaching. You don't make the principles true or false by how well you're living them. <laughs> okay, some of you may appreciate this, but there were... Do I dare say this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what kind of... <laughs> There have been times where I wished my bishop would call me in and say, stop doing what you're doing, so I could say, thank you! <laughs> in fact, anyway... Yeah, so I was feeling this obligation, but it wasn't fun anymore. In fact, because we had invested in a lot of wrong places that had turned south, and the business, you know, my books and the seminars and everything, they were just growing, and it had been growing, but it wasn't fast enough to keep up with this mess that we'd created over here. And so am I successful or not? I don't know. It was a mess. So... Uh, because of that, the, the teaching and the books all of a sudden was no longer my passion and what, my contribution. Uh, Chris, where, where are you, Chris? Anyway, you know where he talks about get the money out of the way so you can fulfill your mission. I felt like it was my mission, but now I have to do it to, to help fix the problem. And it took all the fun out of it. And it, I remember the last big event that I did was at the Salt, was at the Salt Palace. Yeah. And afterwards, some of you may have been there, um, afterwards I had people coming up to me saying, are you okay? 
can I help you? I mean, this pathetic, poor person up there just dragging herself on stage to keep teaching because I'm supposed to keep teaching. Anyway, um, after that, I left and I bawled all the way to the airport. I'm like, I am exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I am done. And honestly, I am done and I'm not even going to check in and see if that's okay this time. I'm not interested in what you have to say right now. I'm done. And so um, I did. I took a three-year sabbatical. All right, so here's a question about those two stories. That there was success in both stories, right? Success, success. Did the success happen because there was intense and unwavering belief? What? Belief in something. Okay. Belief in the, you know, I, I teach that you've got to see the goal. You've got to, you've got to visualize it and you've got to believe in it. I want to make sure that that hasn't been misunderstood because I've learned some things since. This, this three-year sabbatical that I've been on and, and the, the things started reversing for us in 2007. And so where everybody was, you know, their finances were falling apart in 2011. And so we're like, we're ahead of you. You know, we've been there. I've been right. Everything in my blog, my best blog posts were the ones where I was coaching myself through this storm. You know, so that's all there for everybody who started falling apart a few years after us. Anyway, um, I'm a pioneer in many ways. (laughs) One thing that I realized is that I kind of had had a false belief that in order for the goal to be accomplished, in order for it to be realized, I had to believe it strongly, passionately. I had to believe. The belief had to be strong. And I found out that that's not the truth. What does the scripture say? How big does faith have to be? This big. Now, here's the key. Did the Mongolian girl doubt? What did she doubt? What did she doubt that she would have this problem solved? She was probably pretty distressed, but she wasn't giving up. I mean, she wasn't done. She didn't just leave. She's like, this has to happen. It's not working, but it has to happen. And so she was a pit bull, tenacious, upset, frustrated. Anybody relate with those, ex- those feelings? Okay? But it happened. Did she doubt? I can't imagine any part of that experiencing ha- experience having room for doubt. I don't know, I'm not her, but the observation of how she went after that, that she didn't give up, and all the while she's doing this with an intention. What was her intention? Was her intention strong? It had to be, or she wouldn't have been emotionally charged on that. She had that, and all the while, what was going on behind the scenes? He's looking for a kiosk. So is it okay to be frustrated? Does it mean your goal is not going to happen because you're frustrated? Oh, heavens no. Okay, so here's the key. It doesn't have to be this 
declaration of, hey, I know it's going to happen. I mean, that may be there. That may be there. But the key isn't how big is your belief. The key is, are you keeping doubt away? How do you keep doubt away when it nags on you? Here's the key. Write this one down if you've got something to write with. When you feel doubt, it's this simple. You say, it may or may not, but I choose to believe. Belief is a choice. Belief is, oh, I'll believe if it's true. That, that, that's not even, that's not how belief works. Belief, by definition, does not depend on whether or not something is true. Belief is a choice. So it's planting the seed and choosing to believe. So when doubt creeps in, okay, yeah, there may be something to that, but I'm choosing to believe. That's how simple that little shift can take place. Uh, an example of how the, the belief doesn't have to be what maybe we thought it was. So when I was, uh, we were young, married, we had two kids. We were, for those of you who have seen the video, it's when we lived in that little apartment. It's the place where I called the cops on the kid who broke my broom. Remember that one? Um, that's where my mindset was. And uh, just this anxiety and, oh, we don't have what we need. And, oh, you broke my broom too. Now that's another problem. And, oh, woe is me. So that's where my mindset was. It was there when I, I, I reflected back on all the seminar speakers over the seven years who, who had said, who knows what they said, dream. Picture what you want. Yeah, I'd heard that so many times, and it was always, yeah, 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 okay, got that, got that, but what do I do? Yeah, 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 got that, but what do I say to the prospect? Yeah, yeah, got that, but how do I, how do I set the goal? It was, I kept dismissing, dream big, picture what you want. And in this moment, I was so bitter about my situation, mad at the speakers because we had paid them to tell me that. <laughs> I could have paid for a broom for what I spent to have them to tell me that. <laughs> and, uh, and so one day I snapped. I'm like, all right, picture what you want. Fine, I will. And so I went to bed. I checked out. I closed my eyes and I said, you know what? If life can't be the way I want it to be, I'm so sick of trying to make it that way. I'm just going to pretend like I have it in my head. This is where I'm going to live. La, 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 la. And I, there was a piece of me that would say, oh, Leslie, you are so pathetic. Has it come to this? You're resorting to an escapist mentality. And I thought I was doing something wrong. How twisted is that? And so in that, day, in that moment, I closed my eyes and I thought, all right, Let's, say, let's pretend like I have a house of my own, because at the time we were in this little apartment, we were not smokers, but our neighbors were, and so they shared through the outlets. <laughs> and, you know, this, this constant data input, five cents of stimulus telling me that I am in this awful, awful place that I don't want to be in, and me getting emotionally charged about it every time. So I'm picturing what I want. I want to be in a house, and I thought, well... All right, what would that be like? Oh, that was kind of hard. What would it 
feel like to be in a house of my, how would that feel different than this? And I really puzzled it. I thought, how would that feel? Well, in order to feel it, I have to imagine it to where I think it's really happening or those feelings won't come. So I thought, I want to know how that would feel. So I'm going to pretend like it's, all right, so I'm coming home. Let's say I'm coming home with the groceries, and I, I open the door, and it's my home. I walk in, and the kids come running up from behind me, and they run, and then, then they run around this way, because every house with kids has to have a run around. <laughs> my mom taught me that. And, uh, and so they've got this run, and I thought, oh, I kind of enjoyed it for a few minutes. And then life happened, and I got back to it, and kids needed to be fed, and I, you know, and that was that. A year later, we were living that. Remember, we had been hitting our heads against the wall for seven years. And a year later, we were living that. And I didn't put it together. I didn't put it together for two more years when I saw that stickman diagram that's on my video that Gary talked about, where I got it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I did that. I planted a seed. There is a force, unseen help, that literally orchestrates all the resources I need to accomplish my goals. And oh, I had something to ponder, you know. And I thought, I did that. That's what I did. And I thought I was doing something wrong. Oh my goodness. And here's what I learned from that. Did I doubt? Between that time where I imagined it and then went back to my life and then it was our reality, did I doubt? Let me ask it this way. So I pictured what I wanted. I imagined it. I, dream, I, I dreamt big. I felt it. Did I check in on that the next day saying, I wonder if that worked? I didn't. In many ways, I was better off not knowing what I had done because I didn't have anything to doubt. See what I mean? I didn't have anything to doubt. So unfortunately, all y'all are conscious now. <laughs> and so that... that Fighting doubt is going to have to be a choice. But when you do what I just described, you are planting a seed that literally orchestrates all the resources you need to accomplish your goal. And how does it come about? It comes about through those inspired genius thoughts that lead you or someone else to be at the right place at the right time for those things to happen. Is this cool? Woo! <laughs> so, I, and, and what comes to mind, and, and those of you who may show up at the conference tomorrow, um, I'm speaking on hidden treasures for the first class and then portal to genius on the second class, where I'll go, I'll go more into the laws in the first one and more into some of these experiences in a little more detail for the second class. So the, the image that comes to mind when I remember that realization that I planted a seed and I did not doubt. 
I didn't doubt because I didn't know I had done anything. And I didn't water that seed because I didn't know I had planted it. Do some seeds sprout and grow even without watering it? And yeah, weeds, yes, right, all day long. But even good seeds in the right environment will grow and spring forth and bring fruit. And so the key here, if I, if I were to just send you home with anything, I want you to remember that it's not as much about, do I believe enough? It's, am I choosing to believe? doesn't even have to be passionate. doesn't even have to be. Now, where does the passion come in? Why is the passion important? The passion piece is important at the visualization moment. When you're visualizing it, feel how you expect that to feel as though it's already happened. That's where the passion matters. That's where the emotion matters. That's the catalyst that activates it. I think we get, we get caught up in thinking, well, I just have to believe, I have to believe. No, you just have to plant the seed and not doubt. Just not doubt. And it's, you know, if I say not doubt, not doubt, you, you don't want to focus on what you don't want to have. And that's why I say choose to believe. That's the opposite. So what happens, all right, if these laws are in effect all the time, whether or not we understand them, whether or not we're conscious of them, they're, all, they're always in force. And sometimes we, we align with them without even meaning to or knowing it. And, and then we participate in these miracles. We participate. How many of you have shown up for your friend just at the right time? You participate in it all the time. And so as we learn and understand them, as our awareness grows, we can do it with more intention. We can be a little more specific in what we are trying to create in our life. And, and that's just empowerment. That is freedom. That is owning, owning your, your, um, your choices and, and not being a victim. So what happens when you're not aligned with the principles? What happens when you're not aligned with the, with the laws? Well, that's called, before I go there, I'm going to just leave you with one more story. Some of you have heard it, especially if you read Jacobit Factor, you know this, but I just had a thought, I pro and maybe it's one of those genius thoughts, I don't know, I'm going to act on it. Another John, and this is another true story, is, is driving with uh, some business friends, and they're going someplace, and uh, the friend who he's driving with, said, John, aren't you going to put on your seatbelt? And John said, well, why? Are we going to get in a crash? And his answer was, well, no, John, you know, I, but seatbelts save lives. And he's like, no, they don't. And he's like, well, no, John, they, what are you talking about? Of course they save lives. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, my family, we were driving down the street, and we, you know, we were we were all having a good time and something told me to make sure they all had their seatbelts on so I did and we all buckled up and then we rounded a corner and it was a head-on collision. So seatbelts save lives. And John said, no, it's not the seatbelts that saved your life. It's whatever told you to put it on that saved your life. And that's what we're talking about. That's the portal to genius is living in such a way that that's there at those right times to tell you, don't sell. What, what could we have done in, in, in California? We could have dropped the price. 
to make that sale because we're adamant we're going to get ourselves to Arizona. We are on a deadline. I set the date that we would accomplish it by this date and we're going to just do it. But that thought said, just wait. I just love the thought that someone's watching out for me and cares enough to allow me to benefit from the opportunities that are available to help us achieve the goal that we had all along. But the idea is that the, the, the goal is in stone, but the plan is in sand. The plan may change, right? The plan may change, and you've got to be open to that. And that's why when, when I coach people on how to choose, what do you focus on first? What goal should you set? Well, what's the, where are you trying to go? What's that vision that you can see that you're creating, that you're trying to go after? And we back it up, and you're like, okay, well, that's the goal. What's your plan? Well, my plan is that I've got, to, I've, I've got to put these people in place right here. And so I'm looking for these people. Maybe, I, I, maybe I'm a business owner and I'm hiring and then I want to have a team of these people with these qualities and whatnot. Okay. All right. So um, you go down that road and you hit a block and then you get to step back and say, well, maybe, it's, maybe there's a different way to go about this. And so that hasn't changed, but the way to get there may, and that's okay. So back to what happens when you're not aligned with the laws. To not be aligned with the laws, because remember, you can be aligned with them and not know it. And would you say that maybe there's some times that we're not aligned with them? If bad things are happening in your life, does that mean you're not aligned with them? Maybe, but not necessarily. You know, that's one of those things where how you choose to think about what's going on is more important than what is actually going on. And that's why mindset training is so important. That's why understanding how to think when you don't know how to think is so important. It, it makes me think back to before I learned all these things, before I, I woke up to what I was doing to myself by the way I was thinking, I remember, I don't know what it was, maybe we had bounced another check. And I get this notice, I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to think about this? I remember, I remember the, that, okay, I think that was one of those genius thoughts planted in my head to even wonder, what am I supposed to think about this? Because instinctively, I knew that if I could just think right about it, everything would work itself out. How did I know that? It resonates. There's something about that that just seems true. But that was the thought that came to me. And I look back now, and I look at when that happened in my life's journey, and had I any idea where my life was going to go and that I was going to end up writing Jack Rabbit Factor and doing all these things all about, all about how to think when you don't know what to think. Because if you think right, everything else is going to work itself out. You stay aligned with the principles. You're in alignment with the laws. So <laughs> I keep setting this up, but... When you're not aligned, you are busy, but not productive. Do you ever feel busy, but not productive? Okay, that's an indicator, something to be aware of. And so if you're finding yourself feeling busy, but not productive, what's something you can stop and do right then and there? Hmm? Ground. Ground? Get grounded? Uh-huh. What does that look like? What does it look like to get grounded? What does that mean? 
Okay. Okay, so aligning chakras, meditation. Do something from your procrastination list. Do something from the procrastination list, okay? The action. Action if you're feeling busy but not productive. Well, but how is, you got to be careful on, on whether that's busy. There is one thing you can do that will ensure that what you do after you're done with this one thing, you will be productive. What is that? Hmm? Pray, okay. Pray in a certain way. Help me out, guys. Grateful, ask. Okay, come on, come on. I just spent, does that clock work? It's not moving. (laughs) Man, I still have. (laughs) What time is it? (laughs) Ah, okay. I'm like, I keep... That's been 8.10 this whole time. (laughs) Time warps. I believe in them, but that was weird. Praying with unwavering faith or without doubt um, that something will happen. Okay. Ask for guidance. These are all good, and this is all what every one of you are doing, right? There's a better answer. Ha! Stand up. Stand up. Say it again. Say it again. I, picture my goal. I picture my goal again. But do you just picture it? Oh, pictured it. Moving on. What do you do? No, I, I, kind of feel the I feel the emotion again. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Do you read my book or something? Are you in the middle of something? Star student. Thank you. Okay. That's how you make sure you go back on productive again. If you stop, picture the the goal you're trying to accomplish, feel it as though it's already happened, that's going to put you back in alignment with the laws. And then the ideas on how to spend your time will be meaningful and purposeful, and you'll think you better go charge your phone at the kiosk. You know what I'm saying? So... That, and, and I'm not discounting prayer. But think about it. For those of you who pray, how can you marry what we just said with prayer? Picture it while you're praying. Be thankful for it before it's yours. I'm getting chills. This is truth. And I, I remember, yeah. Pray with real intent. It's expectation. Yes, that you are focused. Now, here's how I used to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, please send us something. I just, we just need money because if there's no money, at the end of the month, there's going to be this huge disaster and it's going to be huge and scary. And oh my gosh, you know what so-and-so is going to say if we don't come through with this money? What was I doing? What was he probably doing? It's like, it's right here. I've got it for you. Come on. (laughs) Get lined up a little bit here. Picture it. See it done. Be grateful for it. Feel it as though it's more. And ask. That's a prayer. I don't know what you call what I was doing before. I think it was just whining. (laughs) 
someone had a hand up over here. No? All right, so um, let me give you an example. Uh, yeah. Creation was spoken. And I'll just throw this in here, and you'll see it throughout the scriptures. It happened to Gideon. It happened to Adam. Um, why did he call her Eve? She was mother of What did the Lord tell Gideon about the Midianites? And I have delivered them into your hands. The battle hadn't even begun. This is alignment with the way, it's, it's being in alignment with God's laws. And we think we're telling a lie. We're just telling the truth in advance. <laughs> All right, so that's what God does. He tells the truth in advance. So here's an example of the busy versus productive all right, so years and years ago, my husband and I were part of an organization that promised that if we would show 150 presentations, <laughs> if we showed just 150 presentations, we would be making $2,000 a month residual income Nobody had ever done 150 presentations without making that kind of money, and that would have retired us <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and so we thought, great, we'll get a sheet of paper and make 150 squares on that sheet of paper, and every time we show a presentation, we'll put a smiley face sticker on it. Because we know that when that's filled out, what are we making? Yes, we're on our way, and we filled it out, and we weren't making a dime. Okay, maybe $43, but, <laughs> and some free product. <laughs> and I thought, we are the first people in the history of this company to prove that wrong. Okay, so my self-talk is just a wreck, right? What is wrong with us? Why can't we make it happen? And I realized, were we being busy or productive? What was my goal? Wait. Stickers on the paper was my goal. Did I achieve my goal? That's a clapper. What did I think my goal was? What would have changed about what we would say, who we would talk to, what we would do, had I been focused on not even the $2,000 a month, but what... I wanted the $2,000 a month for. That's a, that's a whole other level. We have had big money goals, and we have made a lot of money. But you might have a money goal, I'm going to make $15,000 this month, but if your expenses are 20, it's not about the money. It's the vision. Honestly, it's not even about the lifestyle. For me, and this is what my message has really evolved to, I, I, I want to think that this is what it's always been, but more than ever, it's been about why are you on this planet? What is your mission to fulfill and what's keeping you from doing it? So had we been able to somehow create some kind of a, a, a visual representation of our success, and had we allowed ourselves to feel, what would that feel like? 
and then choose to believe, had we done all of that, do you think maybe we would have attracted different kinds of people to show presentations too? Not that they're better kinds of people, but what if they're the kind of people that wanted what we had to sell? There's a novel idea. <laughs> what we were finding were people who were kind enough to let us show them a presentation. Busy or productive? What's that? Get, you a sticker. Get me a sticker. I want a sticker. Do you think that if you were to apply and actually do what we're talking about tonight, that even your next week may look different? Is it time-consuming to do what I'm talking about? It's exhausting. Okay, you can go ahead and tell them what you think of my course. Go ahead. When I met her at, uh, well, I met her a while back, and then we got the course, and I asked the question because I'm kind of an overachiever. How quickly can we do it? And uh, it's a 12-week course, and most people take 24 weeks. Or a year. Or a year. And uh, it takes us three days to get through one lesson because it's so exhausting. Because she asks the questions that make you look inside because you want to win so badly. You want this to work in your life. And so you really dig deep down inside your gut. You pull it out, and you write it down on paper, and you read it, and you look at one another... And then you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing because the next day you, you dream about it at night and you wake up and you have a vision in your mind and you move forward and, and, and you learn from your mistakes rather than just keep making your mistakes over and over again. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. And, and honestly, <laughs> how many times, even now, I'm like, I know what I need to do. I just do die. I don't want to. I'm too tired. I'm not going to do that. It's not necessarily time-consuming, but yeah, it can be, especially at first when you're trying to actually get that answer, what will it feel like? That can take some work because you've got to quiet your mind and focus on actually having it accomplished and what would that feel like. And you're putting yourself in the movie that you're running in your mind. And there is, I think it was, I want to say Bertrand Russell. That name comes to mind, but I don't know for sure. He said, Thinking is the hardest work in the world. Most people would rather die than think. But how are the rewards? Is it more exhausting running the mill, running through life, reacting to all the problems that are showing up because of the seeds you're planting inadvertently? <laughs> oh, please send us money or this big, huge, ugly disaster that I am so passionately fearful of. Okay, we, we, I'm not going to say that we are the ultimate and only source of control in our life. We interact with each other and there are situations where someone encroaches upon your agency and those things happen because they have agency too. But what is always your choice is how you will respond. What is your choice is what goes on up here. Viktor Frankl, concentration camp, Germany. No matter what freedom they stripped from him, they could not control his mind. That was his last, and the, that's the final frontier of his domain that nobody can touch, that you allow. So this is about being productive, is having that vision. 
And why your life needs a spec. All right, so a spec. What's a spec? Don? <laughs> a diagram. Uh, anybody in, in building? You're in real estate. I, you know, I figured I, figured I could trust you with an answer. No. Um, a blueprint. Thank you. That's a good word for it. What was that? Details. All right. So why does your life need a spec? Let me tell you why I think our lives need a spec. Years ago, we had our 12-week home study course, and we were looking for a way to make it more affordable. And so we created an online version of it that doesn't have the materials, and it doesn't have the personal interaction with me at the midterm and, and a few things. But it's a, it was a way for people who couldn't afford the, the bigger program to get in and start getting that information. And so we had this vision of what this program, how it would work, you know, what, what about it would be interactive, what about it would be dynamic. And, and, and I had worked my tail off to create the program in the first place. I created that program while everything was falling apart, which was exhausting. It was, it was about the hardest thing, you know, especially at that time. And, but it was one of those things where I knew I had to do it. So I was doing it, and by the time I was done, I was so exhausted from the work that here my husband is, he's the computer guy, and he's like, let's create this online version, and we had developers, and we had all this, and, and they kept asking me for, how do you want this piece to look? How do you want that piece to look? Have any of you worked with computer programmers? All day long. I had already done my part. You guys are the ones that are supposed to know how to do the computer thing. Just take my stuff, figure it out, put it on there. You know, well, but how do you want this to look? I don't care. <laughs> All right, so a few months later and tens of thousands of dollars later, I see what they're doing. I'm like, that, no. <laughs> That's not, that, that doesn't work. How, why would you think this? So, you know, I'm thinking, how could they get that so wrong? And uh, <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? Why does your life need a spec? You think, well, the Lord knows what's best for me. That's not, not untrue. I'm not saying that's not true. But what does he ask of us? What, what's his question to his children? Who said it? Go ahead. What do you want? Ultimately, if, if you believe in an afterlife, do you, think we're going to, do you think we're going to become a certain kind of person and expect a different kind of reward? We'd love that. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I don't know. The point is, is what you want is more within your control than you may have thought. And when it comes down to, well, I don't want to make a choice that isn't good for me. I don't want to make a choice that isn't right for me. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. But there are many things that really don't matter. And so in those situations, what do you want? In that case, what do you want? So if you are leaving it up to your fate or if you're leaving it up to whatever, really you are in alignment with the laws with a certain way of thinking and you will receive 
what that way of thinking produces. And so it's, it's just smart to, to gain awareness. If you don't have a spec, you get the default. And what I learned through this process was that I didn't like the default, and I didn't know that it wasn't going to be just what I saw in my head. Here's the thing. I saw it in my head, but when I tried to convey that to the unseen help, which it was unseen, they were in India. <laughs> my unseen help was in India. That communication, there's, there's got to be a communication between what you see and the help, that which orchestrates the things you need to accomplish it. So where am I going with that? That's the, that's the writing it down. I, I didn't bring it with me, it's in the car, but I'm going to share with you something that I haven't taught in a class yet, that I have hesitated to teach in a class because it was one of those things where I didn't want to say, okay, look, here is something you can do that's going to work for you the same way as it worked for me. I haven't been ready to say that, and I'm, I, I'm not even ready to say that now because I did what came to my head in a time where I needed an answer, and that was a, a journal. I don't use vision boards. I'm not balking them. I'm not saying they don't work. They just make me mad um, because every day I'm seeing what I don't have, and I would, it, it, my brain looks at that and says, you don't have this. Instead of, oh, that's what I'm getting. It's just the way my brain is wired. Okay? And so instead, what I, as I was feeling overwhelmed, there was so much to do, too many things to do. I was trying to juggle it all and at the same time trying to achieve a goal. And I thought, oh, what do I do? And here's the thought that came to me. And that was to get a journal. And I got a blank journal. And I was reminded that there is unseen help. And I was reminded that having a spec just means, like, documenting what you're what you want to happen and so in the journal I put on the left side what I wanted or what I needed and I put the date and I remember in this case it was like my son really wants a manual labor job that he can earn this much money and uh, he wants manual labor because he wants to build muscle and I am too busy to help him find this job or teach him how to get a job I just didn't have the time for that and I'm like I, I need this I need to be able to help him but I am not available in this situation I'm just not available to do that and so what I wanted was I wanted Nathan to have a job that was manual labor that would help him earn XYZ and whatever and I wrote it down under what I wanted and then 20 minutes later I get a phone call from my brother-in-law hey I'm just wondering, is Nathan available this weekend? We're going to be gutting a kitchen or a bathroom, and I just need some muscle and wondered if he could help us gut this place. And I thought, all right. So the idea came like half an hour before to write this down. I'm like, okay, I'll write it down. I don't know what it is about writing it down. I'm just saying that's what I felt like I needed to do in that situation, so I did. I wrote it down. And I kind of threw out the, well, what if I don't write it right? What if I, my, my word choice is... I'm like, you know what, I'm too tired to, okay, my intention is that this is what it, that this is good, okay, so I'm just going to write it down just the way my heart wants to express it, even if it's wrong. So I did. And here's what made the difference. On the right-hand side, I put how he helped, capital H. And I documented what happened. And I wish I had the journal to show you, but be, that became my secret weapon for overwhelm that when I am overwhelmed and I need help, I've got help, I know it, I'm gonna write it down. This is where I give permission to that help to step in and orchestrate some things for me. 
Is it magic? I mean, I'm not. No, it's 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 the help. It's living in alignment with the laws. And so I'm going to wrap this up. After you've got the vision and you've planted the seed, there is perseverance. Perseverance is necessary. And I just want to explain uh, one a couple a couple things about that. You you saw the motorhome outside or the um, travel vehicle. I didn't couldn't tell what it was. It was dark. Well, there was there was a man who had one of those motor coaches that you know, movie stars and rock bands have, and they were barreling down the freeway, and he was actually going to an event to speak, and uh, they broke down halfway, out in the middle of nowhere, and he had to be there by a certain time at this certain day, and it was, actually, no, it wasn't broken down, it was overheating, and he was like, well, I got to go as far as I can go, so he kept pushing it, kept pushing it, his friend next to him was like, you're going to burn up the engine, and so he's like, all right, look, what have we got? We've got everything we need to do the next thing. So they had a box fan in the in the back and they pulled it out. They duct taped it to the front of the big beautiful motor coach, ran the cord through the window, plugged it in, and turned it on. And it gave it enough cooling to get it up the hill. Well and what happened was it was his friend was like, you really need to pull over and get a tow truck. He says, you know what a tow truck costs on those things? No way. I'm going to do all I can do. He gets as far as he can. He says, we're just going to get to the next town. He's like, but there's nothing open. It's Sunday. You're not going to be able to get a repair. He says, I know how to repair this. I just need the tool. And he's like, well, but there's nobody. Anyway, he's like, I'm going as far as I can go. He gets to the town. They stop in at a restaurant, and they're talking about the problem. Someone overhears the problem, and he says, well, I've got a shop. I can open it up for you, let you have the tool. Got the tool, fixed the thing. They were on their way. And the point he made was his solution was in that town all along. And he just had to go that far. And so perseverance is important. That if you don't have what you need, you go as far as you can go. You don't have maybe everything you need, but you have air to breathe right now. You have what you need to take the next step. And just remember, never say, whoa, in a mud hole. If you're pulling a horse buggy, you know, if you get stuck in the mud, don't stop and think about it. you got to accelerate through it. Just accelerate through it. So, you okay for one more quick story? If you need to leave, I'm not offended. I know there's babysitting situations and stuff. I've been there. Some of you know this story, but it's the reason I was able to finish Portal to Genius. When Jackrabbit Factor was done and everything started falling apart, and we were counseling with a mentor, I'm like, you know what? It's a great message. Why don't we just put your name on it? Let's put your name on the book. You're out there. You go ahead and promote it. I'm done. I don't care even if my name's on it anymore. And he's like, no, I think you should write a sequel. (laughs) And my husband's like, yeah, you really ought to write a sequel. I'm like, I don't even know how it would end. Because I don't know how we're, how do we get out of where we're at? So I said, all right, fine. I will do this book if I can go to my mom's for two weeks and just get the download. You know, I'd already figured out how these download things work. It's kind of cool. I'm just going to get the download. I'm going to type. I'm going to be done because I'm not going to let this one take two years like the first. We just, I'm not up for that. And so they're like, okay. So I went and uh, my mom fed me and I just typed it out. And after, you know, Thursday before I was going to come home, I hit this wall. I'm like, there's nothing, you know, where to go? How, How can you bring me this far? It was a great story. I was loving this story. And it just stopped. And um, I got this little voice that talks to me. I hear voices. <laughs> no, and, and it was, you can't finish the story because you haven't lived it yet. 
I called my husband. I'm like, oh, honey, brace yourself. I got to put the book away. Something's coming. So I did. Put it away. And for the next six months, we watched our savings disappear. We watched our credit. What do you call that? Well, used up, maxed, yeah. All of our credit maxed. My husband, by the way, had quit his job five years before, you know, because we were making such good money. And, and so we had about $15,000 come and due in the next two weeks and no paycheck in sight. And this was what I had kind of been fearing in the back of my head for two years. I'm like, what are we going to do if we run out of money? Have you ever wondered, what are we going to do if we run out of money? All right, well, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're down to 200 bucks in the bank. I've got seven kids at home. <laughs> we have a big, beautiful house. Not like this. Man, this is Taj Mahal compared. But what are we going to do? And so all this time, I'd been fighting the... Oh, trying to fight the image of what it's going to look like when we run out of money. I didn't want to picture that. I didn't want to picture that. And uh, there we were. And so with about $200 left in the bank, it was like our anniversary weekend. I'm like, honey, could we just go out to eat? We hadn't let ourselves for a year, you know, trying to pinch pennies. And could we just go out to eat and pretend like everything's okay for just a couple hours? He's like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> When you're up to your neck, and doesn't hurt to, but anyway, that's an old farmer joke, and I'm not supposed to. Um, you got it. So we we did. We went out to dinner, and we're at the restaurant, and we're like, okay, are we going to have this figured out ten years from now? What's our life going to look like in ten years? Oh, sure, yeah, we'll have it figured out by then. You know, okay, what are we going to be doing in 10 years? Are we going to still be teaching this stuff? Like, sure, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, this is, this is, yeah. And, and, and imagine, what are we going to be? And we started dreaming again. And we started, and we knew what we were doing, and we were doing it on purpose. We were just letting ourselves imagine, intentionally imagine, what, what it's going to be like. Did we know how it was going to work out this month? Heck no, no clue. But 10 years from now, surely we're going to have it figured out by then. So that's where we put our heads. You know, sometimes if the immediate problem is too close, you just zoom out and look at something a little farther away and dream on that. And so we did that. And, and after it was over, you know, we paid the bill and, and we're going out to the car and he's opening my door and we hear this noise and we turn around and the waiter is running after us. It's like, just a minute, just a minute. And we're like, what? And he's waving this thing. He's like, the manager says that because it's your anniversary, the meal's on us. <laughs> We look at each other and we're like, that's the key. We have to live there. And everything you need will be there as you need it. And I tell you, our experience after, and by the way, I, I knew how to, I knew, I knew the ending of the story. And that's not the ending of the story, but that is in the story. Richard and Felicity have a restaurant moment. No, actually, that wasn't Richard and Felicity. I can't remember. Was it? Okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I don't feel like it was my story, you know, so I, I don't remember parts of it. But what we experienced for the next several years was living one step into the darkness and having exactly what we need as we needed it. And it taught me a different kind of faith than what I thought I had learned with the jackrabbit factor.
with the jackrabbit factor, it was, you can do anything, you can have anything, just picture it, believe it, and it was this, uh, I feel like the message has grown up. I feel like I have learned, okay, yeah, you're right, you can create anything, you can make all the money you want, but the portal to genius piece brings in a little more of the, what's your purpose? And if you need $5 billion to accomplish your purpose, Jackrabbit Factor Principles will get it to you. Because you'll learn to be in alignment with that unseen help and the, the laws that provide. But if you don't, then why set the goal for it? You will have sufficient. And when you learn to live with sufficient, abundance flows in a different way than before. And the fear, it, it, it's like that experience burned the fear out of us. We don't fear like we used to. And sometimes it's going through the experience of losing almost everything to find out that you're actually okay. What you thought was going to be awful really wasn't that bad. And so, no, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> but we were alive. You know what I mean? It wasn't fatal. So I'm going to leave you with, a, with this. A little acorn wants to become all that its blueprint promises that it can be. It's, it is meant to become a grand and mighty oak, but for now it is only a simple nut dangling from a stem. It hangs on the parent tree and reaches high, wanting to see the grand views and sweep the vast sky with broad branches. It wants to experience the fluttering of leaves and the swaying of limbs, but alas, it can barely feel the breeze slowed by the shelter of its protecting parent. Finally, the parent hears its cry and says, Yes, little seed, I have great plans for you. You will scrape the sky and sway in the wind, and the view will be glorious. You'll provide a home for many creatures, giving shelter and food. Your friends will be many. Your influence will be vast, and you will be great and happy. The little acorn's heart swells with excitement as it stretches its rigid shell upward to receive its promised reward. But instead of enjoying the exhilaration of greatness, it is shaken from the tree and takes a long, hard fall, landing with nothing more than a slight thud. In fact, there is no apparent compassion or understanding since its terrible fall seems to go unnoticed. Its very world seems to have crashed down, and yet time marches on for everything else around it. The tiny acorn soon finds itself trampled upon, with dirt kicked rudely upon it. Eventually, it's completely buried in the dark and alone. Have you forgotten me, he cries, but there's no answer, no explanation, no reprieve. Instead of rescue, the rain begins to pour, and at once the buried seed believes it just may drown as well. It tries to throw its weight one way and then the other to force its way out of the ground or to find its way back to the tree, but nothing changes. It is as though it is trapped and cannot escape its doom. Weary of the fight, it surrenders to its fate. Holding still with a sigh, the elements around it take notice of its calmed demeanor and begin to respond to its mere presence there. In fact, without any more futile struggle, it begins to notice that there is a subtle change taking place within itself. It discovers that as it remains calm, it actually already has all it needs right there in its immediate environment. It hasn't perished from being cut off from its parent, as it feared it might. Though the fall was frightening and terrible, there it remains as alive and as well as before. No, it has not perished. Rather, it has sprouted new parts of itself from within that it didn't even know it could sprout. 
and the little seed begins to experience the joy that always accompanies growth and soul expansion. Though it hasn't achieved its ultimate goal, it feels good enough just to grow. After that temporary period of loneliness and fear, soon the seedling has broken through the crust of earth and can finally see the goal again, though it has never appeared to be so far away as it is now. However, in truth, it has never been closer. <sighs> be patient, little seed. You were created for the greatness that is in store for you. Allow yourself time to develop roots and keep reaching for the sun. Trust God and success is inevitable. All you need to accomplish the goal will be yours in the right time. Remember, peace, be still. Doubt not, fear not. Those are the things that keep you in alignment and those uncanny, mysterious, miraculous, you will have stories to tell. Just remember that the solution to every problem is only an idea away and your next step, what to do, what to say, will be clear when your vision is clear. And so I've got the Hidden Treasures book, it's the one that talks about the laws. The Jackrabbit Factors to help you get the vision. I just want to thank you for being here and I'm going to be able to stay just for a little bit if there's questions. How blessed we are to be here tonight at a very special, special event where Leslie decided that she was willing to come and teach again. And it may be the last time, no promises. <laughs> but we got to have that wonderful experience and I am so grateful. Thank you for blessing all of us. And we love you. Thank you for coming. And I appreciate it. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life. <laughs>